and Toddler's Church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Second Peter. I hope that you have noticed the banners up, the new banners up on the wall. This is our theme for 2020. And uh, by the way, I uh, did read a note that if you are writing uh, checks or legal documents, do not abbreviate 2020 because someone can fill something else in behind it. Uh, and so make sure you write it all the way out. Just just a little thought there. Uh, uh, the beginning of a new decade, I think last Sunday I said the end of the first decade. This is the end of the second decade uh, of the 21st century. Who ever thought we'd have got this far? Uh, I mean, Harold Camping surely didn't. Uh, he thought it was all over in 1994, and then he thought it was all over in uh, whatever it was, and whatever it was, and whatever it was, until... Uh, uh, he finally isn't thinking anymore, but uh, we're going to serve Jesus till he comes. And we have no idea when that is. Jesus could come before this service is over. Let's try that again. Uh, Jesus could come before this service is over. That is true. That's how our Bible ends. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But it's a little scary thought, isn't it? Am I ready to meet Jesus? Am I ready for eternity to begin? And uh, the Bible tells us that uh, we're all going to be judged before God and and these are very sober and serious truths that we must begin to deal with. But I, I will promise you this, if you want to be ready for Jesus to come, uh, you need to start on last year's theme. Except you be converted and become as little children, you shall no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not a complicated faith. Uh, it doesn't take... Uh, a rocket scientist to understand the Bible. Praise God. If it did, most of us would be left out now, wouldn't we? And, and those of us who think that we're able to comprehend such things, we're usually in a lot more trouble than those who don't. Uh, and the issue is honesty, is it not? Uh, God has not chosen the wise of this world. He's asked us to have faith as a little child. But this year, I would like for us to contemplate, to think about growing up. Amen? That's our second verse, is to grow up into Him, talking about Jesus Christ. How do we do that? It says, speaking the truth in love. So you get a heads up for what next week's sermon is going to be about. Amen? Uh, this morning, we're going to deal with Second uh, Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 18, if you weren't here for our Through the Bible time, uh, that's what these little slips of paper you'll see floating around are about. Uh, the Bible reading schedules, you can get those in the office. If you did not get your uh, tithing record for last year, uh, please see Hannah after the service. She'll have those ready for you. And uh, the tithing record is a twofold purpose. Uh, one is for you to prayerfully examine what you've done with your giving in the past year and prayerfully ask and seek what God would have you do in the coming year. Uh, the second part is if you are able to itemize on your income tax, we want you to be able to take advantage of that and, and that form serves that purpose. The Bible reading schedules this year are different than last year. Uh, for the last, oh, I guess 12 years or so, we've just given you out a little calendar, has the whole year in it, and you try to do what you can, and uh, I am not one that walks around and say, could I see your Bible reading schedule, how you're doing? Uh, I don't really think that's um, uh, the best way to encourage people. Uh, but what we've decided to do this year is to change things uh, differently. Uh, you get these little cards at the beginning of each month uh, in the church office here in the bookstore. 
and uh, they are absolutely free. You choose your Bible reading schedule. If you uh, just want to do uh, the bare minimum to call it reading a Bible schedule, we have all of the stories of the Bible in Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, that will take you Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all the way to the book of Esther, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts. Uh, that leaves out a lot of Bible. But at least you'll get the Bible stories. They're the basis. The Bible says that those stories are given to us as in samples. Uh, the old English word for example to help us understand how we ought to live. I like the Bible because it's real stories about real people. And that's what we do in the through the Bible time. And then this is our worship service. And then tonight is our prayer meeting. And Thursday night is our Bible study. Right now we're going through the book of Ephesians, uh, verse by verse. Uh, we're not taking as much time as we have uh, in the past. Uh, in the book of Ephesians, we'll probably, we're already through cha- most of chapter 4, uh, probably finish the book of Ephesians in the next three or four weeks and start something else. But I do want to encourage you to be a part of the services and, and to uh, get a hold of the Bible reading schedules. If you want to read the Bible through once in a year, twice in a year, the schedules are there. You get them at the beginning. And then... Uh, the New Testament challenge. And I've already talked to several people who said, I'm already doing that. Uh, and they, uh, one person pointed out a typing error, and, and we're going to get that fixed. Um, but uh, uh, you ought to try. As an adult, you ought to try once, at least once this year, to read through the entire New Testament in 30 days. Uh, it will help you. It'll change things. It'll change your understanding. One of the greatest things is to find out that you could actually do such a thing. Uh, read through the whole New Testament in one month. And uh, I promise you it won't happen by accident. Uh, you, you may uh, 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 fail. And if you do, that's why there's 12 months in a year and the Bible challenge is only for one month. All right? Uh, you, you, you can, I promise you, if you try 12 times, you're going to get it done once. Uh, uh, you'll just have to. And so let's, let's pray about that. But take our Bibles and let's draw our attention to 2 Peter chapter 3, the last verse of this little book here. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, To him be glory, both now and forever. And all God's people said, let's try that one more time. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. And all God's people said, we're we're getting there. We need to work on that amen. Uh, I'm going to have to get out that sermon again on amen here, and we'll go over it maybe on a Sunday night. Uh, Amen is an important word in a Bible-believing church. Uh, What you're really saying is, I agree, and I know it's true. And, And that's important. And so, as we look at this verse, it starts with a very interesting word. It starts with a conjunction. It starts with a connecting word. But this connecting word is not and, which means in a continual line in a stream. It ends with but. It says these thoughts are connected. The direction is different. Uh, We are connecting ideas here. We are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Our Savior, Jesus Christ, this is connected to the previous verses, but it's moving in a different direction. And so, let's just uh, skip back and try to get what we call the context. If you want to understand your Bible, context is important. You need the context of the chapter in which it's found, of the book in which it's found, and then uh, we call... It the dispensational context of the uh, the time period as God is dealing 
uh, with his people. We live in the dispensation of grace. There's only one more, and that is the millennial kingdom. We're waiting for that to happen. And then you want the context of your Bible as a whole. No one verse disagrees with any other verse in your entire Bible. There are no contradictions. And should you find what we call an apparent contradiction, we start with understanding the problem is not here. It's not in the translation. It's not in the manuscripts from which it came. The problem is here. More than likely, here. Because what goes on here determines what goes on here most of the time. Now, doesn't it? And so, as we look at this, we go back to verse 1 to pick up the context. And Peter is saying, I'm, I'm writing this second letter here. Let's just read his words. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Now, here's what he wants us to remember. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after your, their own lust. Now, if you want to know what's going to be tomorrow's news line, uh, headlines, right there it is. Scoffers walking after their own lust. Uh, turn into the radio show, uh, the news, and, and listen, and you're going to find out that what the story of the news of our day is scoffers walking after their own lust. And what's the second verse 4 tell us? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And he goes on to say, for this they willingly are ignorant of. You see, we live in a world that hates this book called the Bible. Do we not? I mean, if you want to be on the in crowd, the only thing you have to do is hate the Bible and hate the president and you're in good company, right? Not in my book. Uh, we love the Bible. And we want to do what's right. We pray for our president that he'll do what's right. And we want to keep praying. And uh, you say, who should I vote for? Well, we don't tell you who to vote for. But we will tell you this. Uh, I don't know how any Christian can vote for a president that wants to murder little babies before they're even born. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you vote for someone who believes that the most debased and vile human behavior should be given its own set of Bill of Rights. I don't know how you vote for someone like that and claim to be a believer in this book called the Bible. Now, if you want to defend yourself, see me afterwards. We'll talk about it. But I don't know how you do that. And you study the candidates, study what they believe, study what they say. I'm not telling you who to vote for. But I'm telling you, how do you vote for someone who despises this book called the Bible? That's hard to do. And yet, the choices aren't very many now, are there? And so, as we move forward here, we find that this is the context for the but that we find in Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, that the scoffers who deny the Bible, who uh, curse the Word of God, who say it's a bunch of lies and a bunch of stories, uh, we want to remind them that this is something you must be willingly ignorant of. Now, do you know how willingly ignorance works? It means that you have to choose to not believe the facts. That is willing ignorance. Now, that works out really well when you're sitting down to the table and someone puts a slice of cheesecake in front of you. I am going to be willingly ignorant of the facts of what that piece of cheesecake is going to do after I eat it. How about you? How many of you have done that over the Christmas holidays? 
And uh, now, now it's the first of the year. We're all going to diet, right? That's why I got a dozen uh, Boston cream donuts for the men's prayer breakfast this morning, right? Yeah, we're, I'm still willingly ignorant. That doesn't work when it comes to God, my friend. You can't choose. By the way, it doesn't work for cheesecake and Boston cream donuts either. Now does it? Um, Yet we live in a world that is willingly ignorant. But God, look at verse 9, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you realize that God is giving us time to be obedient to His word? He is giving us time to change our minds and to put away our willing ignorance and to simply learn about what the Bible says. That's what the Bible reading schedules are all about. That's why I keep talking about them constantly. We, you cannot know what the Bible says if you don't read it. And so, we, we have the scoffers. We have people who are saying, we don't believe that God is going to keep His promise. Look at uh, verse um, 11. See, seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, talking about this world in which we live... In fact, let's just get uh, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are herein shall be burned up. Can I remind you that global warming is a hoax? That's not the way it's going to work. They say the ice caps are going to melt and everything's going to be drowned. God says, no. It's all going to melt with fire. Oh, no, we had that. We said the asteroid came and destroyed all the dinosaurs. No, that was Noah's flood. The world always gets it wrong. They're always backwards of what the Bible says. And you can trust that. You can take it to the bank. And so we come here, and in verse 11, Peter just asks the question, Hey, seeing that everything that now is is going to be gone with God's judgment, how ought we to live? That, that's the context here. And understand, verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, and he talks about the people taking Paul's words and twisting them, and, and, uh, and it says, unto their own destruction. Verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, I don't know how to, to, uh, other to say this, but the world is full of voices, my friend. There are many people... I am not here today to tell you I am the only person that teaches the truth. What I'm here to tell you is this is the only book that has the truth. And as long as I'm teaching this, then we have an obligation not to, uh, an obligation to put aside our willing ignorance and learn what the Bible says and be obedient to what the Bible teaches. You can go on the internet and you can find someone who will agree with you? I don't care what you believe or what you want to. You can join the Presbyterians. Does anybody remember who they were? I'm not sure they still meet, but it uh, used to be several years ago. I read an article about them. They would gather in a chat room on Sunday morning, listen to Elvis Presley records, and, and talk about Elvis Presley and called themselves Presbyterians. Um, I'd hate to stand before God and say, well, I I listened to Elvis Presley. You ought to let me into heaven. 
I don't know how you could be any more lame than that. Uh, but, I mean, there are people out there that believe in anything and everything. And I promise you, if you turn your back on this book, you're going to listen to the Joe Osteens and the Stephen Andersons and all the other loony kazoonies out there. Uh, how many people used to listen to Harold Camping? Uh, he said the church was dead and the only guy that has the truth is him. Well, that's pretty impressive if you're Harold Camping, but that's not true. Never was, never could be. God would certainly have very poor taste indeed if he picked that loony kazuni to be the only arbiter of truth. That's why he gave us a Bible. So we can hear and understand and if we're not careful, this is what pe- this is the but. If we're not careful, we're going to be led astray. So, what is the choice to being led away with the error of the wicked or to fall from your own steadfastness? Here is what the choice is. To grow in grace. And to grow in knowledge. Now, if we look at your Bible very carefully here, and we're going to just take apart the words for a moment, get the grammar here so we understand what's going on. But grow in grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But grow in knowledge, in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These two things are put together. This is what we call parallelism. Uh, where we have two things that are traveling exactly on the same track, exactly the same direction. They are both dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as, as Peter chooses those names to bring the Lord Jesus Christ into our thought process. We have to understand that the word grow means to get bigger. Now, that's very profound, isn't it? But I'll tell you, you get a little baby in your house, and you want that baby to grow. In fact, if your baby doesn't grow, that's one of the first signs that something is very seriously developmentally wrong with your child. Isn't that true? I mean, uh, and I often jokingly say, when you have your first child, you cannot wait until they walk and talk. After the first one, you can wait. Uh, it, it can take a little longer, but it doesn't because they learn from their older brothers and sisters and it seems to happen faster and faster. And, and uh But it's something that we all want. When you have that little baby, you want that little baby to grow. Um, I love for my grandchildren to sit on my laps, because if my children were to do that, they might hurt me. Uh, They're they're a little big for that, most of them now. Uh, my youngest ones, they still like to do that, and uh, I have to uh, make sure I've done my exercises and all that, because they're getting big too. I mean, they're growing. You see, the Bible says that we're supposed to grow. You're either moving closer to the Lord, or you're stepping farther away. If you're married today, you're either growing closer to your spouse or you're stepping farther away. We do not live in a world where we can just put things on hold and everything just stays the way it is. That, that's not reality. You cannot, in New York City... <clears throat> Get off the highway and be guaranteed that you're getting back on where you got off. Uh, It doesn't work that way. And if we're going to make a choice here, the word grow is a verb. This is something that we must choose. Let me just read the definition of a plant to manifest vigorous life. To put forth foliage, 
flourish, be green, of living bodies generally to increase gradually in size by natural development. In the Old English, said of plants only, the usual word both with reference to plants and animals being waxen. Now, how many of you ever had said, my child has waxen great? Well, that's old English. People often accuse our King James Bible of being old English. I want to challenge you, it's not. It's Middle English. And uh, someone said, well, why can't we have it in modern English? I'll give you one word, lawyers. They have redefined every word in the English language to mean only what they say it needs to mean so they can win the case at hand. Uh, The Bible calls that great sin the sin of debate. And it is listed as one of the great sins in the Bible. Because it erodes our ability to communicate with each other. Communication is based on words. The old English word for grow when talking about a human being was the word wax. In fact, if you read Shakespeare, the sun waxes and wanes. That grows and shrinks. Uh, Nobody wants to change Shakespeare. But nobody wants to be honest enough to understand the words in their Bible. And and let's, let's do that. Amen? Let's talk about growing naturally developing. There should be maturity in the Christian life. And by the way, it takes time. And we'll deal with that during the year, I I hope, on putting off and putting on and all the different uh, things that are given to us in this book called the Bible. But it says we're supposed to grow in grace. Now, what is grace? The simplest definition of the word grace is unmerited favor. That means God's goodness to us that we do not deserve. We do not deserve God's grace. We cannot explain why God loves us, but you better be thankful each moment you draw breath that he does. So, how do we grow in grace? How do we grow in God's unmerited favor? Now, I want to challenge you. One of the great untruths or lies that is taught about growing in grace is the fact that you grow into your salvation. That your salvation is a grace relationship between you and God, based upon your good works. I want to tell you that's not found anywhere in this book called the Bible. That is a lie, a bold-faced lie of the devil. When God saves you, He saves you all the way. He saves you completely. His grace is sufficient You get all the grace that you need for all eternity at the moment you believe. So, you say, wait a minute, that's contradictory. How can I grow in grace if I already have all the grace that I need? Well, can I give you a silly example? How many of you have ever learned to drive a car? How many of you have ever taken a car out on the road and realized its full and complete potential? I never have. You know why? It's against the law. I mean, the church van has a potential uh, of reaching somewhere between 100 and 115 miles an hour. I do not ever want to realize that potential in the church van. That, that would be, number one, illegal. Uh, number two, terribly foolish. And if the least little thing went wrong, it would be catastrophic. Um, 
But how can I grow in grace? How many of you have understood the fullest potential of God's saving grace in your life? I want to challenge you. We're not there yet. We, we need to grow. We need to rest in His assurance. That's, that's step one. But there is so much more that God wants to do. And, and this is not a positive uh, possibility, positive thinking kind of... That, that's for the birds. If you want the truth, you've got to understand... How much faith does it take to move mountains? God said one grain of a mustard seed. Now, I want to challenge you the next time you put that mustard on top of your uh, hot dog there, not the full grain mustard, the stuff that's all ground up, like French's yellow mustard. Try to find a grain in there. Mustard seed squashes, I mean, it grinds so powdery fine that you add a little vinegar and a little liquid and you cannot, I, 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 challenge, I tried to, I tried to smear it all out and find the individual grains. I mean, it just paste. And so I put it on thick and just enjoy it. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could do that with faith? If just one grain will move a mountain This is what it means to grow in grace. You're not getting more. God's reserve is unlimited. And some people have gone to the other extreme and said, Well, listen, if if grace abounds and grace is there to cover all my sin, I'll just sin more and there'll be more grace. Well, you read Romans chapter 8. There's some words that describe that kind of thought process. Uh, Thou fool, and and, uh, God forbid, and some of the strongest uh, condemnations in God's Word. That's not how we grow in grace, is to sin against God. In fact, growing in grace keeps us from sinning against God. Growing in grace helps us understand how great and how good God is. We have saving grace. But how many of you allowed someone to upset you this week? All of us have. You know what? The Bible says that God's grace will help us get rid of our offenses. You know, the most easily offended people are the most offensive people themselves, are they not? I mean, it just seems to go hand in hand, doesn't it? There's a verse in Psalm 119 that says that nothing shall offend them that love this law. By the way, do you think that if you spent more time reading the Bible that you might grow in grace? I think there's a pretty good chance of that. Now, I've met some people that have read the Bible a lot. They didn't grow in grace. And the reason was, is they had their own ideas and their own thoughts. And that's going to be taken care of in the next phrase. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not moldable. Uh, Oftentimes, as people write about history... They, they try to change people that, that are historical figures. If, if you were to get a book about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and, and these men that was written uh, for our first centennial in 1876, uh, I've had the opportunity to do that someone years ago. Gave me a box full of books that go back to the first centennial. It was it was really good reading. And uh, I'll tell you what, they spoke so highly and so favorably of these men that they overlooked their character flaws and things like that. Now, if you're to read a modern book, the first thing they'll tell you about George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, they own slaves. 
Uh, yeah, that's true. But did that determine everything else that they did? Did George Washington treat his army like they were slaves? Uh, when he was the president of the country, did he treat the citizens of this country if they were his slaves and he were their tyrant? No, that's what we were getting away from. You see, if we don't have knowledge, proper knowledge, we lose all sense of integrity. Love without boundaries is slavery. It is. Young lady, you ever meet a young man that says, if you love me, you would. I don't recommend that you slap him in the face. Uh, but I wouldn't blame you if you did. I'll tell you, that's not love. And by the way, gentlemen, if you hear it coming back the other way, stick your hands in your pockets. Physical violence doesn't do anything. But walk away, my friend. That's not love. Only Jesus could say, if ye love me, keep my commandments. You want me to tell you why? Because he is the only person in the history of mankind that did what he did with our best interest in mind. By the way, his best interest is our best interest. See, the Bible says to grow in grace. And we have a Christianity out there today that is so full of grace that there's no more room for sin. I want to tell you, nothing could be farther from the Bible. Nothing could be more than falling from your own steadfastness is to believe that kind of foolishness. Look with me, if you're still in the book of Second Peter chapter 3, turn back to chapter 1 if you would. And this is a passage that we just go back to it. I wish we had time this morning to read the whole passage. But we're only going to read verse 3. Read down through verse 12. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. If you want to know anything that has to deal with living a godly Christian life, you learn about Jesus. And I would challenge you that today, if we were to be truly, if today we were to truly own our greatest ignorance, rather than being willingly ignorant, if we were going to be honest with ourselves, the person that we need to know more about than any other person is the Lord Jesus Christ which means the person we know the least about is the Lord Jesus Christ. I read an article years ago. It's one of the reasons I stopped reading, uh, got rid of my subscription to the magazine. It said, you need to spend more time choosing your hunting partner than you do choosing your wife. And, and it was supposed to be funny. And actually, I guess there was an element of humor in there. Hopefully, your wife is not going to shoot you by mistake, but your hunting partner could. Uh, but that was really the last article I read. And I just, I, I don't need this kind of stuff. I don't need that kind of humor in my life. You see, we, we got to have biblical knowledge. You want to understand what's going on in the world today? Uh, we hear this term fake news and alternate truth and your truth and my truth. I'll tell you, my mama had a very simple word for it. She called them lies. And, and if I was uttering them, she had uh, just 
a multitude of ways of making sure that I understood that I was on the wrong side of truth and that it was going to uh, uh, cause personal and serious pain. Uh, she never abused me. It sure made me feel like it sometimes. Uh, but I'll tell you what, my, my mama's with the Lord today, and I thank God for a mother that cared enough about the Bible and about truth to punish me when I was in the world of untruth. She didn't just let me go on believing a lie. The Bible says we've got to grow in grace and in the knowledge. And both grace and knowledge belong to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word Lord means? It means master. You don't have to raise a hand, but how many of us have landlords? You know what a landlord is? They are the people that own the land. And if you have a landlord, that means they own the property in which you are living. But you get to live there as long as you keep your agreement. Now, if you decide you're going to paint your living room all black and the bedroom chartreuse with green polka dots, and your landlord finds out about it, chances are you're going to be moving. Uh, because they don't want you defacing the property and treating it in such a way it's going to cost them a lot of money to fix it up for the next people that live there. If you have a loud party at 3 o'clock in the morning and get the police called, chances are, if you have a good landlord, you're going to be moving. Because you broke the agreement. Now, Jesus wants to be your life lord. Do you know what that means? He owns it, but you get to live there. And being the best and the greatest and the most concerned and loving landlord, life lord there is, the only one, he expects some things from us. And the things that he expects are going to be to my benefit and to your benefit. Do you know that when a landlord enforces the rules and the directions for the entire housing unit there, whether it's a hundred apartments or two apartments, the people who live in that uh, apartment complex are set uh, there uh, have the best and most beneficial relationship with each other as well as with the landlord because everybody's obeying the rules and, uh, you know, you're right to play your music as loud as you want ends where my desire to sleep begins. Now, doesn't it? Do you realize that's how we're supposed to get along in the church? Is by allowing Jesus to be our life Lord and following the direction that He gives and submitting to His authority. And you know what that means? That means saying no to me. That's what Lordship is all about. Is saying yes to Jesus and no to me. And that's why Peter says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. Hey, we're going to start with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. People have accused me of being rather dogmatic in my preaching. And, and uh, I say, guilty as charged. Because if I'm telling you what Jesus said, I don't have the right to alter it. One jot. Or one tittle. I don't have the right to change one letter of what he's already given us because it's his authority. Can we say amen to that? Now, it doesn't stop with our Lord. It says Lord and Savior. Do you know how many people are trying to save the planet today? It just drives me crazy. I don't know anybody more foolish than somebody 
Oh, what what is that little Greta thorn in my side? I mean, uh, thorn in my ear, actually. Wow. Uh, little 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl running around. You stole my future! I was sitting there going, wow. I think somebody needs to take her parents to the woodshed. Uh, to take a little girl and abuse a little teenage girl like that. And by the way, her dad was on the radio saying she suffered depression for years before she became a spokesman and an activist. I'll tell you what, that's not how you deal with depression by screaming at other people. You deal with depression by getting the anger and the hatred out of your own soul. Learning to live with yourself. Uh, Does that sound like grace? Because it is. And knowledge... Because you stop believing all the foolishness around you. You see, there's only one person that is capable of saving. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. That's joy of Christmas, isn't it? Well, it's the joy of living. You see, we need to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The name Jesus means salvation is from God, is of God. Christ, Hebrew, is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. It means the chosen one, the only one. The only Savior, the only Lord, the only one that we appeal to is Jesus Christ. None others. We agree with others as they choose to agree with Jesus. I remember meeting a pastor many years ago and some reason he <clears throat> thought that uh, I was you know, young in the ministry at that time, and he thought he should be my mentor and, and, and that I should look to him for counsel and direction. And uh, I was trying very kindly to tell him, I've got Larry Clayton, Roy Thompson, John Marshall. Why would I want you? Uh, I, I wasn't trying to be rude or ridiculous here, but God had already given me a, a great group of counselors and, and men to work with who who have shaped me and helped me learn that it's just doing the same old thing the Apostle Paul did. But he told me, I I told him, I said, Sir, I said, you you need to understand something. I choose my friends based on their doctrine or what they believe about the Bible. And he looked at me and said, You know, I'd like to think myself a little bigger than that. And he thought himself right out of the ministry. You see, it's not hard to get off the path. That's why Jesus called it the narrow way and the straight gate. It's not hard to be led astray with the error of the wicked. But I'll tell you this. If you understand that there is no other place to go, no other person to appeal to than the Lord Jesus Christ, no other authority than His Word, which is right here, that our lives are bound up in the grace and the knowledge that He gives, then we can get a hold of this last phrase, to Him him be glory both now and forever. To Him be glory. Here's what... John said in the book of Revelation, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. What is the first of the Ten Commandments that everyone thinks that they're going to get to heaven by keeping? Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and yet you break that one before you break any of the other nine. Because you put yourself in the place of God and choose to disobey Him and His authority. 
You cannot break any of the other commandments without breaking the first one first. And so don't tell me I've only sinned a few little sins. No. Breaking the first and greatest commandment is very serious, even if you only did it once. The Bible says in the book of James that if you've broken the law, you're guilty of all. Why? Because God's standard for righteousness is himself. And none of us measure up. That's why we need to grow in grace. We need to understand that, yes, God has saved me, but that grace that he has given me has never realized its fullest potential in my life. And God is not going to give you a speeding ticket for growing in grace. Amen? For realizing your fullest potential, for putting the pedal to the metal, as we say, for exceeding uh, uh, abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It only gets better as we grow in grace. But that grace must be tempered with knowledge. Otherwise, we'll attribute things to God that are not have nothing to do with God, even blaspheme His character. One of my favorites will be done is, how can a God of love make a place called hell? Well, here, very simple. With all that God has done in this Bible, with sending His Son to be born in Bethlehem's manger, to die on a cross, to rise again from the dead, what is God supposed to do with someone who spits upon the cross and treads the blood of Jesus Christ underfoot and considers the greatest act of love in the history of the universe as an unclean and unholy thing? What is God supposed to do with such a one? Oh, he just forgives them and tells them, everybody, it's okay. That's blasphemy. What would you think of a person who would accept that? God does not accept unbelief. What is God supposed to do? He can't let them into heaven. Because that would be to disclaim every person who has surrendered their lives to God and given them to Him. God is a God of love. He has taken away every living human being's excuse for believing and trusting in Him. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? But if we're going to grow in grace, you know what's going to happen? We're going to find ourselves obedient to this Word. That's where the church comes in. We are here. This church exists to help you and encourage you to grow in grace. And the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because He is the only Lord, the only Savior, the only one that God has sent. And God has ordained that every tongue should confess that He is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's our theme this year. And we need to be here to learn and encourage ourselves and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we...